I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. I have an interesting relationship to Mike Marcel's work. On the one hand, I totally get it. But on the other, I still don't relate to where it comes from. I mean, I get the scene. I feel the strength of the pictures. But his reference points feel so different than mine in a way. Like, for example, the new Suspiria would probably not come up in every conversation of mine. And with him, well... Process, though. That's another story. Hearing Mike speak about his way of making pictures, often involving ideas as starting points for photos, I totally get. In his case, he jots them down in a several-year-long email to himself that he replies to over and over. Those ideas, though, are just to get off the couch, to try something out, to roam around and to find things. The photos he makes are always completely different and unexpected. Mike grew up in New Jersey. The setting for where he made the photos of his family, which ended up in his book Kokomo, published with Matt in 2018. In Gregory Crutzen's essay for the book, he says that Marcel's photographs employ various conventions of the beloved horror and B-movies of his youth, self-consciously low-end special effects and garish technicolor lighting. The materials of the domestic and familial are reconfigured into an uncanny alien world. We conducted this interview remotely, I in Montreal, and Mike at his home in upstate New York that he shares with his husband, Danny. The sun was going down, and we started off on a little bit of a philosophical note. I was told by someone in grad school, and I don't remember who, that like all the greatest artists in the world kind of just had one idea that they just like redid over and over and over again. And I sort of agree with that in a way i think that's true i mean i i remember um hearing greg crutzen give a lecture and for some reason i, I feel that came from him yeah i think it might have been the same i think that's who it was i didn't want to say it but i think yeah i think it was greg i don't want to misquote him <laughs> i heard this thing once that you know photography is the least decorative of the arts but has the ultimate semblance to reality where i'm going with that in relation to your work is that it teeters on this fine line of being both in reality and in this kind of hallucinatory world. It's like, you know that the pictures are, there are real people in them and there are real things. You know, you might be photographing a window, but that window, it might be disturbed by a weird kind of spectrum of colored spots on the glass or something that screws with your head a little bit. It's sort of like, uh, you're, you're not exactly sure what you're looking at. I wonder if you could just speak to that a little or... I think because photography does kind of hew closer to reality in certain ways, it's this really great opportunity to kind of screw with that and to really kind of open it up and abstract it into this really uncanny, like, alternate reality. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I want to ask you about your book, Kokomo. Kokomo came out in 2017, right? Yes. I guess my first question about it is... How does it feel to have a book? It's like a time capsule. I was in school and there was this big hurricane and I was like really becoming aware of the idea of like aging and mortality. And I think that the hurricane and like this kind of abstract trauma kind of became a kind of stand-in for mortality. 
And it was kind of like a really sort of agonizing time in a way, but it was also like a very amazing time. But I don't know if that really answers. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and, and I just love that idea of thinking of, of a book as a time capsule. How long had you been working on that body of work? I had begun working on it in grad school. I had been working at home for years and the work was not too good. <laughs> no, I was kind of really interested in my dad and he had, uh, he lost his job in the crisis of 08. So he was kind of like all of a sudden home a lot. And I was kind of like newly out of undergrad and like trying to make work. And I didn't really have any ideas. So I would just hop on the commuter rail home and like spend my afternoons with my dad and like that was the work that I got into grad school with and I kind of continued that for that year and kind of ridiculously if I would ever talk about my work I would say you know I want this work to be about photography and not about like home at all and everyone was like that's ridiculous and like you are really kind of like ignoring the heart of this work. And then halfway through school in October of 2012, the hurricane happened. And that really sort of changed how I worked. Because, uh, you know, I couldn't even travel home for a couple of weeks. And then when I could, there were like a lot of um, areas where I wasn't allowed and there was a curfew. So I was just kind of like in my home, in my parents' house all the time. And I really also wanted to not make work that was sort of just about the destruction of the hurricane in in a very one-to-one -one way. I wanted to kind of abstract it. And I had, you know, I had kind of always sort of talked about my interest in like genre and horror, but like it wasn't ever really in the work. So this became kind of like a chance to infuse the work with like all those elements of genre that I had always been so interested in. So like I bought a bunch of gels and went wild. <laughs> I get that, you, you know, that, that almost feeling that of when you kind of said that you didn't want the work to be about home, you want it to be about photography. I sort of, the way that I interpret that is that the subject matter that you're dealing with is just almost like a pretext for making interesting photos, whatever that means for you. Exactly. And, you know, I kind of talk a lot about how I think that an issue that I have with a lot of photographers who make work about home, there's often this jumping off idea that, like, you are inherently interesting, which I kind of take issue with a lot of times. And I think that, like, I, I am not really... I'm not any more interesting than anybody else. And I think I was really sort of like occupied with that idea that like, you know, this kind of like New Jersey kind of like a banality in my parents' home that like felt not unique to me. It felt like of um, a type that was like, you know, really widely um, established. So I think I wanted to make the photography the part of it, which was really interesting. And I think I was kind of trying to like use photography as a way to kind of make what I would otherwise say was not interesting, interesting. In the way you depict your family, do you think that it is representative of your relationship with them? Or do you think it's maybe aspirational in a certain way? 
you know, I come from a kind of like a waspy Catholic home. No one ever really like speaks about anything. And like, you know, obviously we all love each other, but uh, there's like a degree of iciness, I would say. And I think that this project was like a real challenge in a way, but I think um, it did kind of like open up a lot of communication, especially between me and my dad that I don't think we had. He was incredible. I was asking him to like rub slime all over himself, you know, just like really like wild ideas. And he was like really into it. And I think that really meant a lot on my end. And I think it also meant a lot to him to have me even just like trying to sort of connect with him like that. My mom is extremely happy about the work, but she is not interested in taking a part in it as much. Um, I think it is kind of because of that sort of, there is an ugliness to it, but I think that the ugliness is not about who we are individually. I think it's kind of just about this idea of aging and about like a mortality that we all have in common. And I think that that's kind of what I was trying to really address. And I think that that's not always an easy, you know, idea to talk about. There were a lot of afternoons where like, I would be home with them and I'd be like revved up in the zone and they would just not be in the mood, you know, which is like, like who would be <laughs> like, you know, it's not an easy thing. Taking pictures of people close to you, family, friends. It's a real, um, yeah, it's fraught with all kinds of issues and challenges. Yeah. Both in the making of it and then in the, um, then the, in the actual pictures themselves. Have you ever like, come up against any kind of like after the image is out in the world where you've had a f friend be kind of uncomfortable with it? No, which is, I'm kind of surprised about actually. <laughs> no, I mean, thankfully, but I do remember I had this show in Montreal and I wanted to include this picture of my sister I remember the picture. I mean, this is a while ago already, but it was a picture of her sitting outside at like this, this like motel balcony in Maine. And she was in a, like a pink towel and she was wearing this shower cap. And um, I don't know. I thought there was just something about the picture, but she really didn't like it. And I remember trying to convince her that it was a good picture, but she just didn't like how she looked. After trying to plead my case, I realized that I don't want to do that. I, to, to me, this idea of the picture supersedes, like the, 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 the art matters more than anything else. Like no matter how, how a person feels about it, like what matters is the picture. I kind of started to rethink that idea and it became important to me to consider how the person felt about how they looked in the picture. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's not to say like that. I, I really feel that when I take pictures, I do not know how to make someone look good. I don't know. Like there's some photographers that like know how to do that. Yeah. There's some photographers that know like about like angle. Like, I mean, like the right lighting and the right angles and what will flatter someone. I feel like I never know how to do that. It's n and, and not only do I not know how to do that, it's not something that I'm thinking about when I'm taking a picture. 
but then the results are the results and you know people look the way that they do and and I do think about that when looking at the pictures and I think I want someone to like how they look and it doesn't mean that it needs to flatter them but I don't want anyone to be like horrified by a picture or really like yeah it's yeah. a very sort of like tangled web you know I think the idea of art is that it would hopefully elevate above what's happening in the image and what's happening between the two of you or at least that's how I view what I do but I'm also kind of a hypocrite because I'm not in any of my own work I don't have to worry about that ever you know uh so like I'm kind of expecting this of others while I'm not trying you know where and like I don't really have to worry about it and you know actually this 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 kind of has become more on my mind over the years as I shoot comic-con which uh would have been my eighth year this year or my ninth year um but they just announced that it's not happening this year and um I think you know early on the first couple of years I would go and I think you know you kind of carry with you a lot of the kind of cultural ideas that you read about every day and I think I was kind of not as interested in like the reality of these individuals as human beings and was kind of more interested in what to me felt sort of gaudy a little not that that's not the right world word it felt a little um like a spectacle because it's a spectacle it can be open to judgment and I think over the years, I've kind of realigned and recalibrated what I want to get out of that work. And I think while it is still about this kind of like overlap of spectacle and community and commerce and like fantasy, I don't go out of my way to make anyone look bad. And I think that that would really just kind of like undermine the work. I think it's incredibly easy to be cruel in photography. And I think it's a lot harder to be a little more open-ended and just, you know, kind of speaking to more <laughs> the truth <laughs> in a way <laughs> of like how all of those ideas kind of overlap into like a complicated reality. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Mike Marcel. To find out more about the show, follow us on Instagram at Magic Hour Podcast or visit us at magichourpodcast.org. Over the past little while, Mike Marcel has been making a new body of work called The Living End. He told me he's been approaching it differently than with previous work, and I was curious how. I think for a combination of reasons, I've just kind of open myself up to trying to make work that speaks more to reality. And I think I spent all these years kind of creating these alternate realities and like really kind of like being in full control 
of everything and a couple of years ago realized that like I really wanted to kind of create work that speaks to like reality you know a lot of it was also kind of like you know I think I had reached this apex of retouching things or not retouching things and using all these tricks to create this sort of elevated abstract world and I wanted to sort of challenge myself and I think like the ultimate kind of like trick that I kind of refuse to admit over and over again is that I'm actually like a super old school photographer in a lot of ways and I think that like that's been kind of like chasing me throughout my whole career is me being like oh no no you know like I hate all this I hate that I want to make work that's like this when like in reality I think like I just really love photography a lot and I think I'm just trying to be more open to what I was originally drawn to about it and not trying to sort of out clever myself with these weird images that feel like um impossible Mm -hmm. so can I just challenge um that discrepancy between this old way of of working and this kind of and this newer way yeah well yeah here's the rub yeah (laughs) (laughs) well no okay no here's the thing that i'm curious about i mean and and you sort of alluded to this when you're referring to a a certain way of working being not contemporary or a little anachronistic this way of in 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 how certain photographers work traditionally, either roaming around and making pictures in a certain way. Now, that might be so, but how does that negate the idea of world building? Like, if you see any strong body of work, no matter how that artist is making that work, they are creating a world somehow. So, even though you might be working in a different way, you're still trying to create that world. Now, if that world, that world might be a different one that you want to create. You, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, I think you're totally right. And I think I'm a lot more open to that idea than I was a couple of years ago. And I think the problem that I had was that I just felt like I just want to make images that I have never looked at before. I think that's, you know, kind of like the drive of everyone you want to make work like nobody else and i think in reality i think you know uh that's never totally true but i think with my own work i just got so into like this sort of alternate world building that i just there just wasn't really anywhere else i could go and it just felt like uninteresting i i just like wasn't interested in kind of like speaking abstractly anymore i wanted to kind of like speak to the world in a way it's easier to kind of like hide in these alternate realities and sort of conjure these magical worlds rather than like look right into like the harshness of reality recently that idea has become a lot stronger in my mind because i think like the the ideas of race and whiteness are like not in this work at all and I think you know I was able to not worry about it because like I didn't have to and I think the idea of like creating all these like alternate realities and like being so interested in fantasy was a kind of escapism or at least you know not realizing my obligations as a white 
artist to speak about race where, you know, like in grad school, every artist of color would like have to talk about that all the time. And I wasn't ever asked that because a lot of times whiteness is viewed as a default. Mm -hmm. And actually I should give credit to our friend Paul Sapoya mm -hmm. because he um, was sort of Instagramming this challenge where he asked every white artist to include the term whiteness into their work somehow. And I thought that it was a really amazing, wild idea. Well, no, no, see, it's not a wild idea. Mm. And that's the problem. <laughs> and um, he got like a lot of sort of harshness in the comments about it. And it just seemed like a great opportunity to really work on it. What was the harshness about in the comments? The comments that I read were just like, you shouldn't tell an artist what to write about. And like, um, you know, uh, that kind of mm -hmm. a comment. And I think it's really just like a defense because, you know, I think like a lot of white artists and a lot of white human beings, we mean well, and we think that that's enough that we like align our ideas with, you know, equality and all this stuff. But I think the reality is, is that like, that's not enough to just have empathy. And I think that's the problem. And I think I'm a part of the problem as much as anybody else. So it's been something that you've been thinking about and considering and, and trying to actually figure out how to bring it into the work somehow. I think it's a very tricky thing. And I think it's still all like really kind of working it out all out and and like I don't have any answers at all but I think it is at least a step to just acknowledge it um well I mean this is officially the first remote interview that I've done where where are you exactly you're in Delhi 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 so it's like in the Catskills it's about three hours from New York it's like an hour and a half from Woodstock if you know where that is Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we're kind of in the woods, small town. Thank you so much for doing this with me tonight. Thank you for asking me, of course. It's just a joy to chat. That was my conversation with Mike Marcel that we recorded remotely. I in Montreal and he in upstate New York. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Ellen Payne Smith. Original music for the show by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show, visit us at magichourpodcast.org or follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.